We've got lots of fun planned, but right now you have to listen to Mr. Ward, and there's no fun with Mr. Ward. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's great uh, to be here again. It's been a few years since I've actually been able to be back here. Uh, I was here last in chapel 2005, so they've given me some time to grow and mature and grow up since then. And uh, now I'm back again. Had the privilege of sharing in chapel this morning, and now to be able to share with you guys this evening. Uh, greatly excited about that. Just outside those doors, I have a little table. I don't have a lot of material. Not much would fit in my suitcase. But if you would take one of our prayer cards and pray for us as a family, I'd appreciate it very much. I'll show you a few more pictures of my cute kids and my beautiful wife as the weekend goes on. But uh, Melissa and I have been serving with Word of Life um, for a number of years, as Matt said, about 10 years on the road with the Impact Team. And now this is about six years within the Bible Institute ministry, and uh, I'm excited to be here. At the Bible Institute, not only the dean of students, but I have the privilege of teaching Bible survey, just as Matt does here on this campus, and uh, we have the privilege of going through from Genesis to Revelation every single year at the World Life Bible Institute. So I'm excited to be here tonight, and I'm hoping I can share a little bit of that with you this weekend. And so uh, in the skit earlier, we saw a really difficult life, and sometimes life is difficult, and in our culture today, we call that epic fail. And so here's some pictures of epic fail. <laughs> I don't know what this guy's doing. He just was washing, and it started raining, so he just kept going. A little OCD there, I guess, or something. Uh, this is one. Life is tough. Thank you for driving carefully through the village. Almost made it, <laughs> and then crashed into the sign about driving careful. This one... I mean, what do you do with that? How did the guy get out, for one thing? But that's a tank upside down in a ditch. Wow. And then uh, fail-tacular. A fail so epic, it's almost a win. Right? <laughs> How does that happen? Uh, that must be doctored or something, because that's messed up. I'll tell you what. And then this one, emerge into the fail lane. How did, how did he miss that giant bridge? I... And then this one, brown shoes with jeans, while the guy wrecks himself in the background, right? This one. <laughs> uh, poor kid. Parents, instead of rescuing the kid from the toilet, the parent ran and got the camera and took pictures. <laughs> Some of you, this has happened to you, skateboarding in the background, landing on your head. And uh, the final, we had another sports one here. This, and this one, how you catch this on, on camera, I have no idea, but... <laughs> It's almost like on Wipeout, you know, when a guy twists himself into a pretzel on those big red balls. Look at this guy's neck. That's sick. It's amazing what the human body can handle, isn't it? Epic fail. Hopefully that won't happen to any of us this weekend because we're going to be completely safe during all our games and activities this weekend. But this weekend in our sessions, we're going to study through an entire book of the Bible together. And, so, and I'm excited about that. Now, it's a little one, so don't get too scared about it. But let's take our Bibles and turn to the very little book of Jude. One of the very last books in our Bibles it's in the New Testament. The last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Revelation, and it's just before Revelation. So as you're turning in your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation. If you don't have a Bible with you here this weekend, you need to talk to one of the students, talk to one of the staff. We'll do the best that we can to get you one. Or if you've got your iPod... Oh, look, I have a text. Who is that from? Oh, it's from my wife. We love you and miss you. Wish I was there with you. Aw, that's sweet. Wow, I miss her. Yeah. What was I saying? Oh yeah, if you don't have a Bible, 
<laughs> if you don't have a Bible, we have Wi-Fi here on this campus, and you can download yourself a Bible. So get yourself a Bible. Version has all kinds of apps for every platform. There are all kinds of Bibles that you can get for free on the internet. Get yourself a Bible for this weekend, and let's start reading it together. And tonight we're going to look at the book of Jude. The book of Jude is about contending for the faith. And we're going to learn a number of things this weekend about contending for the faith. And you might be surprised at the players in this battle of contending for the faith. And tomorrow night you may be very surprised to find out where this battle for the faith is taking place. But tonight as we open the Word of God, let's talk to its author. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much, Lord, for the opportunity to to open Your holy and perfect Word that gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, as we bow before You tonight, I pray that You would open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, we thank You uh, for the way that Your Word has already gone forth tonight so powerfully in music and in the skits that we've seen. Lord, I pray that You would use each of these things and Lord, give me wisdom to, to meet the needs of the teenagers and leaders that are here. Lord, I don't know them. But Lord, I'm so thankful that You do. And Lord, I pray that You would use the messages this weekend and all the activities and interaction together to glorify Yourself and draw each one of us into a closer encounter with You. In Your name, Amen. So the book of Jude, earnestly contending for the faith. And tonight we're going to talk about the battle within. The battle within. Because sometimes we're our own worst enemies. Now tonight I'm going to talk about skepticism. And the fact is, we have questions. We have questions about our faith. Some of you have come this weekend with lots of questions. Some of you are wondering, number one, why are you here? What am I doing here? How did I get myself into this place with all these crazy people that get all excited about songs I have no idea about? Uh, Some of you came and you're a little weirded out by this whole thing. Uh, because you heard there were cute guys or cute girls that were coming, and that's why you're here. Or you, it was because of the sports tournaments or whatever. But we're all here, and we're all together, and I want to suggest that it's no accident that God has arranged it for it, all of us to be here this weekend. And as I sat and watched that skit, I got really excited about what God is going to do. Because you're going to think, as I shared tonight, you're going to think I helped the SEM team write their skit. Or the SEM team helped me write the message tonight. But the reality is, I worked on this in Ontario, and they did this in New Brunswick, and God put it all together for us here this weekend. You know, sometimes we're our own worst enemies, because not because we have questions, because there's nothing wrong with questions. Questions are good. But the problem is, is when we have questions, and we don't get answers to them, or we don't trust the answers that we get. And that's where the problem comes. Tonight, I'd like to talk about uh, skepticism. And we're going to start with the book of Jude. Our author, it says in verse 1, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, and called mercy unto you and peace, and love be multiplied. That's a normal Greek letter type of greeting. But our author of this book that we're looking at this weekend is Jude. You say, now how in the, who in the world is Jude? Well, he says he's the brother of James. James also wrote a book that's in the New Testament just a little bit before that, and they're brothers. 
Well, in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 5, it mentions these brothers and also tells us about a very famous brother that James and Jude both had. Does anybody know who he is? It's Jesus. Jude is Jesus' brother. Now, half-brother, of course, because Jude is, is the son of Joseph and Mary. And Jesus, of course, was the son of just Mary because God did that and a virgin conceived and brought forth a son as it was prophesied hundreds of years before. But here is our author, Jude, Jesus' brother. Who better to have an incredible life of faith? And as we look at the book of Jude, you say, this is a man of God. This is a man of faith. But here's the thing. He didn't start that way. He didn't start that way. Jude was a skeptic. He didn't believe in Jesus. He lived in the same house. He grew up with the man. He did not believe Jesus was the Son of God. He didn't believe Jesus was Messiah. And some of you are coming here with the exact same questions and with the exact same doubts. And that's okay. In fact, for every one of us here tonight, if we are honest with ourselves, we would all say we have doubts. And one of the things we need to be careful of as Christians and sometimes as Christian leaders is we put on this front like, I got my faith all together. I never doubt that there is a God. I never doubt that He created the world. I never doubt that I'm saved and going to heaven someday. I never doubt that God has a plan for my life. If I stood before you and said those words tonight, I'm a liar. And anyone in here tonight that claims that, they're a liar too. If we're honest with ourselves... Sometimes we have doubts. Now, I don't dwell on those doubts, and I go and look for the answers, and I refresh my faith, but we all have doubts. And so did Jude, and that's where he came from, growing up in the same house as Jesus. Here's the path of a skeptic tonight. Jude, in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 and 35, Jesus had begun his public ministry. And as Jesus went out to do His public ministry, and as He was preaching the kingdom of God, and as He was healing people, He stepped on the religious toes of the leaders, and they did not like Him. Because Jesus, even though He was God, didn't do things the way that they thought Jesus should. He didn't like it. And they would not only persecute him, but they began to persecute his family. And it made it, they tried to make it as difficult as they could for those who would follow and trust in Jesus. Now, he was doing things only God could do. He spoke in a way only God could speak. But they didn't like because Jesus didn't follow their rules. And so they persecuted him and they persecuted his family. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35, and I missed this for a lot of years... The passage is Jesus teaching and Jesus' mom Mary and his brothers show up and they want to talk to him. But what we miss in the passage is, you know, why is that a big deal? Why did the gospel writer tell us that? Like, who cares? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, is they didn't just come to ask him a question. They came to take him away. In fact, some commentators would go so far as to say they thought at that moment he was crazy and they were trying to drag him away and keep him quiet to stop the persecution that they were facing. Jude wasn't a believer. He was trying to take Jesus away from the public eye instead of ministering to people. He didn't believe. John 7 and verse 5. 
It says, for neither did his brethren believe in him. They're getting ready, as all good Jewish people did at feast time, to go up to Jerusalem to celebrate and to worship. But as his brothers go to go up, they turn to Jesus and they said, Oh, big Messiah boy, why don't you come and reveal yourself to everybody? Everybody's going to be there. Come on, you can do it if you're really who you say you are. They mocked him. But Jesus let them go on ahead and then quietly and privately he went up because that wasn't his plan to create a big scene. But the passage tells us his brothers didn't believe. Now, you didn't grow up in the same home as Jesus. And some of you don't believe. No, that's okay. Jude grew up in the same home and he didn't believe either. But his life changed. His life changed. So, but here's the problem with skepticism. There's nothing wrong with having skeptical questions. But here's the problem, especially in our culture, with pure skepticism. Now, this is a very talking about a very old guy, a philosopher back in the days of Rome, in the early days of Rome. So we're talking a couple thousand years ago. But this guy, Carniati, stood up as a, a philosopher. He endeavored to inculcate the spirit of universal skepticism in the city. He offered to argue alternate, uh, alternatively both for and against any proposition that was given to him. He declared that the mind only attains its true greatness when it's in a state of complete suspense. And to settle anything was a sign of ignorance. That is a definition of pure skepticism at its most consistent level. If you're really going to be a skeptic in the truest sense of the word, you've got to go all the way to what Carniati said. Now, uh, a Roman senator, Cato, st- stood up in the Senate and said, dude, you're just going to confuse everybody. What you're talking about is messed up. Get out of here. And they ran him out of the city. So uh, Carniati skepticism didn't last because it just didn't fly with culture. You can't have a system of justice this way. There's no laws. There's no rules. There's no nothing. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? What we're trying to push today, relativism, and what's good for you is good for you, what's right for me, it's, and it's all good, and there's no standard right and wrong. You can't have pure skepticism. It doesn't, it doesn't work. In fact, Mark Twain illustrated that when his boss told him to be completely skeptic. Mark Twain vividly illustrated the uselessness of being completely skeptic when he was sent to cover an important social event for a newspaper. His editor had warned him to state only facts he could verify from his own knowledge. So you don't trust what anybody says. Only what you know and you have seen and you have touched and you have handled and and is scientific. And so he turned in this story. A woman, giving the name of Mrs. James Jones, who is reported to be one of the society leaders in the city, gave what is reported to be a party yesterday to a number of alleged ladies. The hostess claims to be the wife of a reputed attorney. Major social event. There's your report. Does it work? No. Pure pure skepticism can't work. It just doesn't make sense. There are things that are true and there are things that are false. And we can trust what people say, especially when they talk about their own names and things like that. Um, But Mark Twain very vividly proved the point. You can't be completely skeptical. There has to be a sense of answers somewhere. In fact, uh, as I was working on this, I typed in skepticism and I came up with 
you know, you know, the first couple Google results. Here's a big time skeptic website. And on this skeptic website, there's a number of articles that seemed very unskeptical to me. And I'll give you some of their headlines right here. Number one, how we know global warming is real and human caused. Now, if you're truly skeptic, how can you know anything? Remember what Carniati said? But we know. Now, what I've read of unbiased scientific reports is that the whole global warming thing is just a trend. And every hundred or so years, we have a trend just like this. And it, the, the, the climate just adjusts itself. And it's just part of the natural cycle. The world is wearing out. But global warming isn't new. It happened a couple hundred years ago, and it's happening again. Um, but skeptics apparently believe this. I unskeptically believe it, I guess. The top ten myths about evolution and how we know it really happened. Now, if you're skeptic and you question everything, how do you believe in evolution? I don't know, but I've never seen the proof. Uh, I, you know, I can, I can have a, a healthy dose of skepticism. You can say to me, you don't believe in creation because, and I can't believe in creation because I wasn't there to see it. Well, okay. So what do you believe? Evolution? You weren't there to see that either. And there's absolutely no proof today for evolution. No half creatures. No, nobody in transition today. Ha-ha. Creation at least. God said there's order. We look around us. We see order. There it is. Weigh the two out. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, top ten myths about evolution. Apparently skeptics, skeptics can believe in evolution and they can believe global warming is real and human caused. But they can't believe anything the Bible says. I, I, and here's another one. Learn to be psychic in ten easy lessons. <laughs> Seriously? If you want to be skeptic about something, at least be skeptic about the whole psycho thing. I mean, come on. Psychic in ten easy lessons. We're not going to be skeptic about this, this psycho stuff, but we'll be skeptic about the Bible and everything that God presents as truth. It's messed up. Pure skepticism doesn't work. But the reality is, questions aren't the problem. I said it earlier. Questions are not the problem. And as youth leaders, I, I, let me apologize for the previous generation. Sometimes we get afraid of questions. Because if we question our faith, then we don't really have faith. And then that's not good. And I've got to show all my young people that you just believe. No. Don't accept that. Youth leaders, shame on us for doing it. And, and I'm not pointing fingers. Sometimes I do it too, even with my kids. We need to give answers. And if we don't know the answers, then let's go find them together. Because I want to suggest to you tonight, the Bible has answers, and there are answers for the questions that are raised out of the Bible. Jesus, after He was resurrected, He spent 40 days with His disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4, and it says He proved Himself by many infallible proofs. Young people, Christianity is not a faith for those who can't think for themselves. Christianity is not a faith that we need to go to the Bible because we can't think for ourselves. It's not a book of myths. It is reasonable faith. It's a logical faith with scientific, archaeological, hist historical, prophetic, moral support. It makes sense. 
There are answers. The problem with questions is not having them. The problem with questions is when we don't go looking for the answers. And we just live in a, oh yeah, okay, whatever. That's a problem. Because eternity forever is on the line here. The problem is not, uh, not questions themselves. The problem is not getting the good answers. Or ignoring good answers that present themselves like the Bible. Well, because the problem is, is if the Bible's true, then i got to listen to that stuff. And I don't want to listen to that stuff because I like to do what I like to do. And that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem before God. So questions aren't the problem. Not getting answers to our questions and ignoring the answers to our questions is the real problem. Let's be honest with ourselves. But here's the path of the skeptic tonight. Here is Jude's path that he walked. Because somewhere between John chapter 7 and Acts chapter 1, we read in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with His brethren. Jesus walked this earth. He taught he did miracles. He died on a cross as has been presented tonight. He, he died. He was buried in a tomb. And He rose again. And after He rises again, before He presents Himself, we find Mary and His brothers and the others together and praying. At this point, Jude believes. I, I don't know what it took in Jude's life. The Bible doesn't tell us the moment where he believed somewhere along the line, but sometime after the resurrection is confirmed to us, Jude and James are believers in who Jesus really was. They were skeptics, but they found answers and they believed. It's not just uh, Jude and James. You remember Doubting Thomas? He was the one. He was gross enough to say, I won't believe until I touch and I stick my hand into the wound in his side and drive my fingers into the wounds in his arms. Like, dude, that's gross. Why you got to be so extreme? Like, just say, let me touch him. Okay, I'm good with that. Stick my hand in a... Gross. That was Doubting Thomas. Now, Jesus showed up and revealed himself to Thomas, and it never says Thomas actually had to do that. Jesus says, come and go ahead, Thomas. Put your hands in there. Go ahead, buddy. Stick it in. And what does Thomas do? He falls and he says, my Lord and my God. That's all he needed. He just saw it. The Apostle Paul. He was a skeptic about Jesus. In fact, he went around killing Christians and throwing them in jail. Jesus appears to him. And all of a sudden, all those Old Testament prophecies that he had studied for all of his life, all of a sudden they made sense. And he fell before the Lord. C.S. Lewis, a great philosopher, a great thinker, but antagonistic against the gospel and against religious things. God used J.R.R. Tolkien and other men in his life to bring the gospel to him. And C.S. Lewis has written some of the greatest Christian philosophy of our time. Josh McDowell in college, antagonistic towards Christians. But he saw that they were different. Not just different weird, but like different happy. (laughs) Kind of like some of you are creeped out by when you arrived on campus, right? 
And that changed his life. He started to search and find who Jesus was. Lee Strobel, some of you have read the great book, The Case for Christ, an excellent book. He started on a mission. He was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. Smart guy, well-educated, lawyer-like mind. His wife came to know Jesus, and he thought she'd gone crazy. She got all nice and stuff. And so he went on a mission to prove, to, well, to not just prove, to disprove that Jesus was Messiah and that his wife had started to lose it to help bring her back to sanity. His studies are published in that book, The Case for Christ, because he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because it made sense. There's nothing wrong with questions. But I want to suggest to you, if, you have, if you're honest with the questions and you actually examine the evidence, Christianity makes sense. And the greatest question that we could ask uh, is going to come up when we talk about Jude's passion. He wanted to write about the gospel. As we read in verse 3, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He changed his mind. Jude, who had once been a skeptic, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and then when it came to his turn to write a piece of Scripture, he wanted to write about salvation. He wanted to write about the Gospel. Can you imagine the Gospel that Jude could have written growing up in the same home as Jesus? I wished he had written the Gospel. (laughs) I would love to have read that one. God, God changed his mind, and he wrote this little letter instead. Jude was passionate about Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you, again, questions aren't the problem, but the greatest question that could be asked is this one. Who is Jesus? Really. Who is Jesus? You saw Him portrayed tonight in the skit, but who is Jesus? Was He real? And if He was real, who was He? Well, there are a number of different options. The first option I hesitate to put out there because i got to be honest, it's stupid. A suggestion for who Jesus was. But there are really people who believe this and books are written about this and it really is crazy. But number one, people suggest that Jesus is just a legend. Was Jesus a real person? Is one of the questions that you'll find in our world, in our culture. Jesus didn't exist. Is one of the ideas out there. Now, um, you, you know where I stand on the question. <laughs> Jesus existed. In fact, Edwin Yamaki, the professor of history at Miami University, says that there is more historical evidence for Jesus than for any other religious founder. And he lists Muhammad, Buddha, Zoroaster. And you probably don't know who that last guy is, but you know who Muhammad and you know who Buddha is. Now, there's not a person alive today that would stand up and say, I don't believe that... Um, I don't believe Muhammad ever existed. I don't believe it. He just wasn't a real historical person because I don't like the things that are written in the Quran. Therefore, Muhammad never existed. Now, why wouldn't you say that? Why? Because you'd probably get shot. Or you'd get tortured in the streets or something, right? Nobody would dare speak up against... Mohammed and Islam, but the reality is people all over the world deny that Jesus ever existed. And yet there's more historical proof, not just in the Bible, 
But outside of the Bible, there's historical records. Romans, who hated Christians, wrote that Jesus lived, that Jesus died under Pilate. Uh, other Jewish, uh, Jewish historians under Rome wrote that Jesus was a miracle worker and that Jesus taught and that he was killed under Pilate. And it was said that he rose again. Outside of the Bible, those are the historical accounts. So we're just going to throw this one out because, of course, Jesus really existed. But that is, this is one of the suggestions out there. Number two is that Jesus was a liar. Jesus walked and talked, and historically it can be proven. But here's the thing. Jesus said He was God. That was a part of His teaching. Now some people would say that you know, He was just a good person. He was a moral man who taught good principles and tried to do the best he could and lived a good life. But here's the problem with that. He said he was God. And if he said he was God, there's two options. One, he thought he was God. Or two, he knew he wasn't God. Right? All you logicians out there, A cannot equal non-A, the law of non-contradiction, law of antithesis. Yeah, either when Jesus said, I am God, either he thought he was God, or he knew he wasn't God and just said it anyway. Yeah, we're getting to it. (laughs) We're getting to it. Let me build here, man. So, he could be a legend, he could be a liar, right? Right? Because he claimed to be God, but he knew he wasn't God. And so it was all one big scheme that he was going to draw a crowd and he was going to get famous and he was going to gather this huge following that would last how many years. But here's the problem. He died. He died for what he taught. Now, I don't know about you, But think of the heart of a liar. Think about the heart of a con man. Is a con man willing to die for a con that he knows isn't true? No. The point of a liar and a con man is to get famous, to get power, to get wealth, to get all of those things. So if Jesus was a liar, why did he willingly die and not speak up at his trial? It doesn't make sense. So, you choose. Not a legend. Could be a liar. Humanly speaking. Let's just skeptically put it out there. Number three, he could have been a lunatic. Right? Because what were the two options? He said he was God. Either he thought he was God or he knew he wasn't God. So if he knew he wasn't God and still said it, he's a liar. If he thought he was God, but he really wasn't God then he's crazy, right? Because, you know, the people, I don't know if you've ever been to big cities. we got some big cities in Ontario. And um, I, I grew up here in New Brunswick, never saw that kind of thing. I get dropped in the streets of Toronto. Every year we take our students down to Toronto to share their faith, and we meet people that say they're God. Every year, somebody meets someone that claims to be God. They usually shake their head. they got a little glassy look, bloodshot eyes. They're dressed in real shabby clothes, and they walk around like this, and they sleep in the park. 
They say they're God. They think they're God. They're crazy, right? You, you don't just claim to be God and believe it unless you're crazy. So if Jesus claimed to be God, either he, he wasn't God and he thought he was and he was a lunatic, but would a lunatic teach with such authority? Would a lunatic do such wonderful things for people? Would a lunatic have the historical records that say he was coherent, that say he was a good teacher, that say he gathered crowds and people listened to him and people respected him? Would a crazy guy be like that? I don't think so. There's only one option left. He was who he said he was. And when you put the historical records together and you read what we have in the most, historic, the most accurate historical document on the planet, let alone a volume of faith and theology, everything points to the fact that Jesus really was who he said he was. Would a liar go to the cross? Would a lunatic gather a following that respected him and trusted him? I don't think so. So, legend, liar, lunatic, or Lord? What makes the most sense? The greatest question you'll ever answer in life. Who is Jesus? And if He really was who He said He was, if He was God, then here's the thing, as has already been presented in the skits tonight. Jesus came, born of a virgin, as all the prophecies in the Old Testament had said, prophesying each element of his life, told hundreds of years before it happened. Jesus came to earth as as holy God and holy man and lived a perfect life. And because he never did any wrong, he never broke God's law, he never sinned, he did not deserve to die. For the wages, the price to be paid for sin is death. He never sinned. He didn't deserve death. And a perfect and holy God allowed Himself to be crucified and to die to pay for your sin and for my sin. The ultimate sacrifice for every wrong that has ever happened. And He invites us as He died and rose again to pay for our sins. The offer and the invitation is for each one of us here tonight. Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior to save you from your sin. The reason the skeptics don't like the Bible is because of this very claim. If Jesus is who He said He was, we've got to bow our knees. We've got to submit our lives. There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Jesus told His disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. No one gets to heaven except through this way. The way of the cross. Because God Himself paid for your sin. The reality is, the choice is ours. You can choose to pay for your own sin. You can choose to go your own way. 
where God invites you tonight to trust His Son as the payment for your sin. That's the message that Jude was excited about. His life was changed. Imagine the guilt he lived with having mocked the Lord Jesus Christ, having mocked and made fun of his brother, having thought he was crazy at one point, trying to drag him away from the public eye to realize he really is who he said he was. He had to tell everyone. And when he goes to write this book, that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to write about the gospel message, this message of salvation. It was big time on his heart. And we're going to see later... In the weekend, even though God changed his mind, he still comes back to this message. Why? Because it changed his life. It changed his life. Who is Jesus? Changed his life. Talking about these options... C.S. Lewis, we mentioned before, the authors of the Chronicle of Narnia, some of you have seen the movies, he said this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus... They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. The choice is yours tonight. Who is Jesus? Let's bow in a word of prayer. As our heads are bowed in respect to God and as our eyes are closed in respect to the others around us, would you just take a moment just between you and God to think about the things that we've talked about tonight? Who is Jesus? Everyone must answer that question either today or when we stand before Him in eternity. I encourage you to answer that question this weekend. Make up your mind right here and right now. And as you think about the things that we've talked about, if you're here tonight and you came as a skeptic, and you came maybe like Jude, making fun of Jesus and Jesus' people at your school, maybe you've seen the choice. And maybe God's changed your mind. He couldn't have been a liar. He couldn't have been a lunatic. He must be Lord. And I must accept Him. If you'd like to make that decision tonight, you can call out to Him right where you sit. As simple as a prayer. And quietly in your heart before God, you can say something like this, Dear God, I know I've sinned and broken your law. I've done wrong things. Your word tells me. My parents have told me. My conscience tells me. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to rise again 
to pay for my sins. God, forgive me. God, save me. Jesus, I believe you are who you say you were. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment, but is there anyone here tonight that would say, John, I prayed with you when you, when you talked. I prayed with you right here in my seat tonight. If you would say that tonight, John, I prayed that prayer. Would you just slip your hand up so I can see it? As I wait just a moment, anyone at all? John, I prayed with you. Amen. Praise the Lord. I see those hands. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyone else? All right. Hands are going up all around us. Sweet. Praise the Lord. Amen. Now, if you've raised your hand, would you do me a favor and would you just look at me? Everyone else, heads bowed, nice closed just for a moment. But if you put your hand up, would you look right at me and make some eye contact? Did you pray tonight? Did you do that? That's awesome. Did you pray tonight? Awesome. Good stuff. Did you pray tonight? Amen. Did you pray tonight? Back here. Awesome. The back. Did you pray tonight? With me as I prayed? First, amen. Good stuff. Praise the Lord. Those of you that are looking at me, I'm going to ask you to do something. I know it can be difficult in front of your peers tonight, but the reality is those that invited you and those that are here, that's the reason they're here. And so you could hear a message like this tonight. And you could make a decision like this tonight. I'm going to ask you to do something for me without even knowing what it is. Will you do that? Can you make me that promise? Yeah? Will you do what I'm going to ask you to do in just a minute without even knowing what it is? Yeah? Would you? Without even knowing? All right. What I'm going to do, I'm going to make this quick. What I would like you to do, if you prayed that prayer with me tonight, I'd like you to stand up right where you are, and I'd like you to make your way right out one of these back doors, right here or right here. A student at the Bible Institute is going to meet with you. They'll answer any questions that you might have, and they'd just like to pray with you and make sure you understand the things that we've talked about tonight. Would you do that? Stand right up where you are. You're not going to miss anything. You know, I'm not going to miss anything I'm going to say. I'm not going to make fun of you as you go. You can just go right out the back, one of the back doors right here. On either side at the back, just slip quietly out the back. One of the students would just like to talk to you, answer any of your questions. Would you go? If you prayed that prayer, would you go? All right. Anyone else has questions? If you'd just like to go and talk to a student, it's a great time to do it right now. Just slip out of your seat and go. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, that even while we were sinners and we have rebelled against you and we have done what's wrong and in a sense with our lives we have spit in your face. But you loved us enough that you gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to teach, to preach, to prove himself through miracles, and then to die, to pay for our sin. Lord, we're humbled by it. Lord, I pray that as we go through this weekend, that we would ask questions of our leaders, of the students, of the staff, and that we would get answers together. And that we would rejoice in that your word, the Bible, makes sense. And as you've proven tonight in the lives of these young people, it can change lives. Lord, if anyone else is still struggling 
with who you really are, I pray they would get the answers tonight. I pray that it would come together and it would make sense to them. And God, I pray that you would use each one of us this weekend to encourage each other in your word. May we get into your word. May we read it for ourselves. May we rejoice in who you are and what you've done for us. In your name, amen.